welcome one and all throughout time and space for this new episode of Weebs on the Weekends, the podcast where we break down the anime news highlights of the week and give a retrospective look on an anime that prepared 10 years ago. Today's episode, we will cover the fourth week of April 2022, after which we will give our thoughts on whether to resurrect or rebury the 2012 anime franchise Space Brothers. My name is San Martinez. I'm a part-time weeb, full-time automail mechanic. With me, as always, is my co-host, Jay Johnson, part-time weeb, full-time English language sensei. Now, Jay, I know like this week we have some news that we have to go over, but I feel like some stuff also happened nerdily this week that we have to talk about. For me, it's more like Tamagotchi Game, Shield Hero, a little bit of Moon Knight, maybe a smidge of Bridgerton. But what about you? I know before the podcast you mentioned that you had some nerdy stuff that you wanted to go over as well. Oh, yes, because I feel like Marvel is actively trying to ruin my life now because this week they have released one, the Thor trailer for Thor 3, Love and Thunder. But they're also now releasing TV spots for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And it just feels like one of those things that I think Marvel... Ex- um, executives are kind of responding to the bad reception of the Eternals and the Black Widow movie, but they really don't need to because we loved Spider-Man No Way Home. We have loved WandaVision and uh, what was the other one? Loki. So even with their dive into the multiverse with Doctor Strange like proper, they are just doing the most. And I swear with it's two weeks from now from the premiere but if a TV spot drops and they say something like, oh, in the recent Doctor Strange trailer, you might see Cyclops and the X-Men. I'm going to not blow my brains out, but this, I'm going to flip my, I'm going to flip shit because <laughs> there's so much interesting things that Marvel has done, like in the cosmic scale of its storytelling that we'll see another 10 years of good Marvel storytelling from Marvel with Kevin Feige at the helm. But it's just like, I cannot go on my news feeds. I cannot talk to people. I haven't been in this kind of mode since Endgame and Infinity War. So Marvel is just ruining my life this week. Um, Back into the anime sphere, the sequel to Shaman King was announced. So I'm kind of hyped for that. I'm kind of a little bit more hyped for that. Than I was for this most recent reboot because it's the story of Yo's kid, so it's kind of territory I'm not familiar with. So I want to see okay. what they're yeah, going to do. Yeah, just continuing the franchise. Then okay, exactly. Continuing the story. Yeah, and also very hype. I'm kind of hyped for this new Gundam series that's coming out later this year, The Witch of Mercury, because the new official teaser dropped, and I think this is actually the first Gundam series I'll be at the front like on the front lines for since I've started like talking to you, Sam, about Gundam. And I'm like very excited for this like to be my really first Gundam series that I've be able to watch in earnest since like Gundam Wing. So that was my kind of nerdy weak thing. So oh, but about the Thor trailer, they they also introduced a character that I don't think many people are going to be familiar with because um that character shows up later in the or the most recent editions of the Thor comics, and I was like, this is such a weird way to introduce that character. People are going to lose their shit. <laughs> and I'm waiting for the backlash of it, or not backlash of it, so 
I'm kind of keeping my eye on that as well. I don't want to spoil it because it feels like a spoiler. But yeah, that character yeah, that, that, that was like, one thing that I, that I've uh, seen from the trailer, or at least from the comments of the trailer. Everybody was saying that it felt they felt like the trailer gave away the whole movie. It was very very interesting to see what what all was happening in the trailer because it basically picks up where he's off with the guardians and he essentially has to find himself and it sort of leads to the uh what the uh, rumored villain is supposed to be in the film which is goro the god slayer right because he goes to different we see him go to different pantheons and that's what i was excited for moon knight because you could say that this last episode of Moon Knight, I would say episode four. Oh my goodness. It was probably my favorite episode. And it was the one episode that we've seen where we haven't seen Moon Knight in his Moon Knight costume. It, it, it it's just, it's, it's just great. But with what happens in that fret, what happens in that episode, it can lead, it, it led me to believe or lead, lead me to think that, some shenanigans is going on in the realm of the gods. And so it begs me the question, it's like, oh, are we going to see Goro at the end of this series sort of connecting him to Thor? Because there is a lot of Egyptian stuff and in some of Thor's comics, he has had linkings to Egyptian deities or Egyptian figures. One of the more obscure characters that i learned about recently was the scarlet scarab apparently he had an adventure with him and in this episode we've seen easter eggs and mentionings of the scarlet scarab's actual name so it's like oh are we going to like is that is that a tie or is it just going to be like an easter egg like for instance bridgerton with the bumblebee that was going on there and i am very very excited just just ah like what they've been doing is really good and it was just fairly interesting that you had mentioned loki and i'll i'll get off my soapbox in a minute compared to all the other franchises loki had at least over double the viewings than all the other franchise or all the other tv shows up to that point including wandavision and captain and uh cap i'm sorry falcon and the winter soldier so it's it just 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 goes to show you how much the fan base loves Tom Hilson and but even then like it's not just because of Tom Hilson but because of the writing of the work as well everybody when they talk about Loki they don't really talk about just how hot Tom was but how good the show was as well like I feel like it was sort of like a bait and switch it's like People went and saw it for the aesthetics that was Tom Hiddleston, but stayed for the story, you know, like that sort of thing. But I, I cannot wait to see what's going to happen in the Marvel franchise moving forward. <laughs> before we completely make this a Marvel anime episode, or sorry, a Marvel episode, I feel as though we should get into the news unless you had another remark that you wanted to say before we go on to the news 
Yeah, just to close with how Moon Knight has done, like, handling the cosmic aspect, is that same thing with the what they did so poorly in the Eternals. They just gave a throwaway line of, like, oh, we were commanded not to interfere, and that's why Thanos was allowed to run amok, essentially. But in Moon Knight, they give you a concrete reason to why the Egyptian gods have not been present in the story. So I was like, that was really well, well done. So I'm just excited to see that, you know, moving forward, we might get into like the other pantheons, like you said, in Thor, and then spread out from there because gods are interesting, but anime. <laughs> I would have to say, like, just, just to make it a little bit easier of a transition, too, because like you just jump like off of Moon Knight. My favorite scene, right, has got to be when Kanshu and Moon Knight were. Well, are are you are you up to date, Jay, or no? Oh yeah, I've seen episode four. Okay, my probably my most favorite aesthetic scene was when Kanshu and uh, I think it was it was it was Steven when Kanshu and Steven were turning back time. That was the that was the coolest scene but i guess like my favorite parts out of the series so far is probably episode four with layla doing her tomb raider thing oh my goodness she was so badass what about you what what was your favorite parts so far of the first four episodes it's mm-hmm. the mystery of oh well i feel that's a way too deep spoiler but I like the aspect of the action not being seen. <laughs> um, it was mainly in the first episode, but it does happen. Oh throughout. yeah, when 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 he wakes up and he's trying to figure out what situation he's in. Right. Yeah, I was like, that's yeah. a very interesting way because, like, I, with Moon Knight, there's only six episodes. Like, it's been with like Loki and Wandavision, mm-hmm. but like for that to be like the core of the first episode of the introduction and the mystery, I thought that was just brilliant to get you invested. Oh yeah, no, it was very, very well done. And the reason why, okay, so to the audience, time codes, descriptions, we're going to be talking about the anime news, and the reason why I had brought up Moon Knight one last time is because in anime we will be getting something that has to do with Saudi Arabia, which is fairly close to Egypt, so it's not too big of a stretch, I don't think. Don't 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 hurt me because I don't know my geography. We had gotten word from Crunchyroll that on April twelfth that they will be streaming a move a film known as the journey which uh you know it's just at least the english title is just simply the journey the uh japanese full title is journey taiko arabia hanto de no kiseki to takai no manakatari so this film will be having its north american debut at the chinese theater in hollywood California on April 12th and from what we've seen it doesn't seem as though Crunchyroll specified on which languages it will be streaming in but we do know some of the English dub stars that will be acting in the film and the premise of the movie is that 
it's about an invading army that's coming to destroy Mecca and enslave its inhabitants. And we follow a simple potter who masses a rebellion in order to stave off the evasion. And we also learn that this potter is not who all he appears to be as along the way he runs into a lifelong friend that was dead and it seems as or that he thought to be dead making his past not as black and white as it had first appeared to be so jay with this uh franchise are you uh have you been familiar with this work or not, not necessarily this work. I don't remember if it's an anime first or if it was based on any previous works, but as far as getting more anime focused in the middle East, are we excited about that? Because I know Moggy made a big splash and I want to say Orient, it still has that, has a very similar vibe to it as well yeah so this is just one of those reminders of how anime has become like this global community or industry that this is basically going back to a relationship that started probably 10 years ago like 2011 that saudi arabia had sent their animators to japan or I guess the exchange was that they went to a university where they were learning basically the art form of uh, animation from uh, Japanese animators and this is kind of like one of the first uh, properties that we've known about in the west because they did previous series like the woodcutters or the woodcutters treasure and like folk tale something something but yeah it's something that just shows that the medium is like very collaborative that this is actually done in collaboration with Toei animation so the Saudi Arabia side of it is called Manga Productions, you know, kind of a straightforward name. But yeah, yeah it did premiere a couple, not a couple weeks ago, but on the 12th and uh, in Hollywood somewhere or in L.A., I guess. But for Crunchyroll to stream it, they have like some of their heavy hitters like Bryce Prenbrook. What is his last name? Bryce yeah, yeah, Peppenbrook. Peppenbrook. Yeah, I think he does Izuku Midoriya from My Hero Academia. Also, oh. Christopher um, oh, Sabat. Yeah, yeah. And also Steve Bloom. But Steve Bloom oh, works Steve in Bloom everything. Oh, Steve Bloom is in it too? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So Crunchyroll got their heavy hitters out for the English dub of it. And even they have the trailer in English. So there's no real set time period for this. But like if you look at like there's like war elephants um, in the <laughs> PV, so it's probably around yes. the 16 to 1800s, and it's pretty well voice acted, like you mentioned. But yeah, it just seems to be a very interesting property, and hopefully that we'll see more collaboration coming out of the Middle East due to that. Oh yeah, and I want to say, looking through this, has there 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 was something about the crown prince Mohammed bin Salman, but I'm not too familiar with him. So, I mean, are, are you familiar with him? And Yeah, I'm for pretty familiar with it just because it's on the foreign service front. But yeah, that's something that gets really political really fast. So um, just to stay on the side of just talking about the medium as it is, there's a lot of political 
uh, components to it as well. But Crunchyroll just making it like kind of saying like we're going to broadcast this and bring it to the West is already like a statement in its own. So um, it's a weird story. <laughs> Maybe when we have more time, we can do that or. We can probably do a spotlight on anime focused on in in the Middle East. You, you know, at least like see like how that influenced them, or at least how anime took cues from storytelling from that side of the planet. Who knows? But onwards to the next bit of news that we have. We have gotten some more unveiling for additional staff and a promo for a new franchise coming out soon that will be premiering later on this year on in July 2022 that's known as Mayodofu Koro no Shukunashi Shikanshi I botched that up but essentially the English translation for it is The Berserker Rises to Greatness the premise of this story is that we follow our main character. The main character wakes up to realize that his memories are gone. And he I, I'm not sure if he was isekai'd or if he was already living in this world, but it feels like an isekai. Because when he wakes up, he talks to the deity that made a deal with him. Apparently, he had traded in his memories for a very special exorbitant amount of power and he's basically on a trail or on on a journey to figure out who he was figure out what he likes you know what his power is and along the way he finds out that he's basically a battle junkie pretty much goku incarnate if goku (laughs) didn't have any memory of who he was now thinking about it pretty much just like goku if goku was isekai and he basically walks or goes on a journey to find the biggest baddest dude and to beat him uh just for the love of the fight and we have a lot of character or a lot of people who have their hands in this film we oh not not film but then this franchise we have people that worked uh, over there at Satellite, we have people who worked on, uh, I'm trying to think it was, I saw Slime, I think that's the one where it's like, uh, I, uh, the the other Isekai where it's like, I just uh, love, love uh, killing Slime, and let's see, we have illustrations done by Kurogan, who's worked in Knights and Magic, Masao Gehen H, uh, Cross H, and it was a manga uh, that was released in 2018. And they had published their 12th volume, volume I want to say, this past February. So, yeah. Jay, what are your thoughts on this? Is this truly an isekai? Or is this a, another workaround? It's definitely a workaround. But the first line of the PV is Mashoku Tensei. <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> reincarnated so it just feels to be a workaround of yes it's still an isekai but the the gimmick is that he surrendered all his memories of his previous life which feels like a cheat to it because like if there's no point if you don't remember your past life or if it doesn't 
affect the current plot, then there's really no reason to make it an isekai, so it's just a fantasy story. But the battle junkie aspect kind of interests me enough. It, I don't think I'm going to give it even a one-episode watch, because it seems to be the isekai of the season, but I do like the title, The Berserker Rise to Greatness, and to see that the story might center on battle addiction, which, again, I think that's expecting a little bit too much, but like you said, there was a manga, there was a light novel, it was done by Studio Satellite, who does make pretty good, decent anim- fight animations, but in the PV, there are moments that use a CGI in a little of a junky way, so hopefully that's not too indicative of the quality of the show, but I probably won't give it a one-episode watch, so it's a pass for me, Bench. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully it's would be i i guess it's just a very interesting take in the isekai genre as we have been over flooded recently so um not necessarily intrigued but at least waiting to see if there's a bomb ass fight scene that would give me enough reason to go back and watch it it as i said the one of the main illustrators is from uh, has worked on Knights and Magic, and that was a franchise that I really liked. So I'm just keeping my ears open to see what's going on with this franchise. On to the next bit of news. We have gotten word that this past April 6th that Tight Kubo's Bleach has reached to 2.7 million copies printed here in the states whereas with my hero's uh academia copies of its first volume has crossed 1.2 million over here in the states and along with this we have also gotten word that viz media will be publishing a 20th anniversary edition of the first volume of bleach which would be released later on this year on august 2nd and they also have plans on launching a 20-volume box set for the My Hero Academia franchise on October 18th. And that will have a 48-page bonus material with illustrations and a double-sided poster. Jay, what are your thoughts on this? Is this just Viz Media trying to hype up Bleach coming back along with... I, 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 yeah, along with um, using the anniversary in order to try to boost sales uh, for the franchise before it comes back. Exactly. So it is a thing of like most anniversaries not really knowing how to get gauge like how much of its efforts is really worth it. So like last year was the 20th anniversary because the Bleach manga was originally released in 2001. So that was also the year that burn the witch came out so there was like a lot of kubo stuff and then we didn't really get confirmation that the thousand year war arc was actually going to get animated until earlier this year or just like a few months ago so it does seem to be like just a delayed effect of last year's real anniversary that like oh people are actually still interested in bleach so let's turn out this first volume special edition and even last year we saw that there was an epilogue story of like 70 something pages i believe i didn't read it but it was a catching up with the gang of oh where are they now kind of thing and like seeing like new captains and see how the soul society is 
So the number is kind of, I guess, arbitrary. Like it says 2.7 million, so it's not really that significant. But I guess just to show the uptick of interest in the property is important. So it's all kind of within the marketing strategy of that the Thousand Year War arc is going to get animated this October. Is it this October, Sam? It's definitely this fall, but I'm going to say the October because it covers I like... I think it is October. Yeah, because it covers about 20 volumes. So Studio Periot has kind of been cagey on how much they're actually going to be doing, how many episodes they're actually being animated for the arc. But with 20 volumes translating to uh, eight or seven volumes per 12 episodes, they're probably looking at two seasons potentially, but you know. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but as you said, the epilogue that we have gotten has gotten all the flan- all the fans, including myself, in a flurry. So there's a lot of speculation that the manga may continue, and if it does, if the anime would follow. But again, only time will tell, as well as seeing how the success of the Thousand Year Blood War, Blood War arc goes for the franchise now on to the last bit of news that we have until we can get into the meat and potatoes of our episode for us today we had gotten word from the official websites of ultraman that the anime adaptation will is in its uh final season of production and the anime, the last season, is scheduled to be released next year on Netflix in 2023. They have a promo uh, video as well as a trailer for it. And it is very jarring. It has Ultraman basically pummeled on the ground as though, like, this is Ultraman's dying moments and it's just very very interesting the first two seasons done by production ig as well as sola digital arts it definitely has a lot of backing and in terms of quality i've only seen a couple episodes of the first season and from some of our previous news that we've had in regards to ultraman and godzilla uh essentially i forgot what who the director's name was but it was a director trying to make a unified universe with ultraman godzilla and a third franchise i can't seem to recall at the moment but do you think that this bit of information uh, or at least like this ultraman finishing up if it's trying to make way for that unified cinematic universe that was mentioned earlier jay or do you think that this is something unrelated entirely uh the third series is common writer and i remember this very sp- uh, specifically last year because you were like how is common writer going <laughs> to fit into uh ultraman and godzilla's universe but yeah it's a project that netflix has been kind of pushing over the last few years by the director of Shin Godzilla, because they're all Shin, is like the kind of marker. So it's Shin Godzilla, Shin Ultraman, and Shin Kamen Rider. So it does seem to be amping up to that being like the end goal, essentially. So maybe this version of Ultraman ends, and then Shin Ultraman 
is going to begin. But yeah, like it's the third and final season. Season one had like 13 episodes. Uh, season two had only six episodes. So that feels like kind of indicative that they had oh a very goodness. controlled. That feels like a punt. I'm I'm sorry. I, I just had a flashback from Castlevania because Castlevania had a weird publishing schedule just like that where the first season it was a good amount of episodes like you said 12 or 13 and then the second season was just a ridiculously short even though there was a clear demand for the franchise so i really feel for the people who have been following ultraman up until this point because they that like i said that's 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 sort of a punt to the face in my opinion but continue yeah that does seem to be netflix model because even this week it was announced that they were doing some sketchy stuff about their subscriber numbers, making uh, claims that people aren't interested in Netflix anymore, which I think some people are because they keep canceling shows people love. <laughs> so uh, with production IG acting as like the main uh, producer of it with um, Soul Digital Arts doing the animation behind it, it has like a powerhouse, like you said. But yeah, this is very interesting to show that next year is going to be the final season, as well as amping up the Gundam, the 100-year Gundam um, project that Netflix is responsible for as, as well. So it seems to be a good year that Netflix is trying to set up kind of early on. Like They're still pushing their anime game <laughs> into the next year. So this is pretty good news. Definitely, definitely some good ones. And hopefully this is a good segue because if I remember correctly, Ultraman was from space, right? at least originally, there were some alien shenanigans happening. So, segue, as I'm throwing my hands are up in the air like noodly arms. Segue to the main topic for today's episode, which is the anime Space Brothers. Time codes, descriptions, look at the chapters, Viewers and listeners, for we have finished up our new segment and we will now be talking about the anime of the hour, which is Space Brothers. And Jay, this was your pick. And tell me a little bit of why you picked it, because I think you said you had some history with it. Correct me if I'm wrong in that. Uh, yeah, so this is a anime done in 2012. We missed the anniversary, 10-year anniversary, because it was released on April 1st. But the reason why I very much, well, not very much familiar with it, but why I know of it is because it has one of those really well choreographed and animated openings that kind of sets a firm tone and motif of what the series is about. So. Uh, if you look at the opening is like one of the reasons to watch it as well. So it shows basically this sense of adventure and space exploration. And it does tackle something that a lot of animes don't. It tackles modern, not modern, but contemporary science fiction. You know, like we're both big sci-fi nerds about sci-fi stories, but you don't really see contemporary sci-fi that much. Because you're always seeing Is technology. it really contemporary, though? Because it's still in the future somewhat. Uh, well, it's the year of the show happens in 2025. So contemporary means 12 years out. So it does oh, fit inside that okay. kind of time frame. 
And okay. I, I get you now. I get you. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So it's really interesting that, you know, a lot of mech, not even mech fans, but sci-fi fans don't really talk about sci-fi that's done like in the now sense because it's kind of inherently sad because when you look at technology, you're like, oh, a lot of the problems in the world can be fixed with the current technology, but a lot of dumb human reasons is the reason things don't get fixed. So this is a story that is basically tackling Japan's space program and their goal for settling on the moon and then a further project settling and colonizing Mars. So it feels relevant since Elon Musk has been taking a lot of steps to do that for himself. But this is a series based off of a manga. It's in the genre of sci-fi with the side of comedy and it's in the seinen genre meaning for older boys and it was and it's still going to t- t- today so oh yeah so it's like wrapping up so it's uh, 40 volumes um the publishing is pretty slow so it does take the uh, creator a lot longer than having like a team and the interest has kind of waned over the years especially since the year is approaching the year of the uh, series. So the anime is animated by Studio A1 Pictures. So you can kind of see the telltale character design of that studio. And it's 99 episodes. So we only talked about the first three. So if you find Slice of Life endearing, then this is a series that you can sink your teeth into. But there's not, there's only one season technically. Uh, it's kind of split between one year one and one year two as it follows these two brothers. Oh, hold, hold on. So, like, because I, I, I saw the this franchise on Crunchyroll, right? And as you said, the first, I, I guess it is split up because the end of the first season, like, at least from what I can see on Crunchyroll, is, like, episode 66. And I'm like, whoa, that's the whole first season? And, like... The first half of it is just in the first year. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's weirdly set up. So like all 99 episodes were approved at the start of its uh, production. So it's technically Mm. split up between a year one and two. So the episode 51 is the end of year one and then the rest is year two. So like you said, you can watch it on Crunchyroll as well as Hulu. And the story is basically these two brothers who are Habito and Mata, who basically have a dream of going to space. Uh, Habito is the younger brother, and he successfully becomes an astronaut for the... Actually, I forgot how you pronounce the Japanese space program, but it's J-A-X-A. I thought thought Habito was with NASA. He's with the Japanese uh, company? Because I know that with with Muta, I'm, 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 I might be ahead of myself, but um, okay, uh, continue like like you said. Uh, I, I, let's just call it JAXA. Because oh, I there we go, yeah, JAXA. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, with the JAXA program, because no country besides NASA, India, and Russia kind of have national space programs. They do work under NASA to find support and you know. Uh, establishment so it's kind of taking a modern approach to what japan hasn't done really so again it's kind of like a sci-fi story because it's projecting into the future so it's kind of a mixture of 
the reality of the situation versus like expectations. Because again, this is a what twenty year old story or two thousand seven when it started. So it's like a mixture of what's actually happening now and what was projected back in the day. So um, they're both brothers, and Habito succeeds in becoming an astronaut while his older brother fails to basically do the same. And then the story just follows the other brother, Mata, basically trying to catch up with his younger brother. So there's a lot going on here, but to talk about its core appeal, it's just the idea of something that we've seen in Bakuman. That's another anime that we've talked about and done previously on. Same thing with, like, I guess, Usagi Drop, but this slow, plodding story of just normal people trying to live their life and what happens to people with the natural course of life, their ups and downs. And again, that's kind of the appeal of the slice of life genre in general. So if you like that, this is good for that. But Sam, how did you vibe with the first three episodes? Because I know you're a staunch, not hater, but you're more of of the resistant type to like just slow stories that just talk about normal people. I'm I'm not into slice of life, as you said. However, the premise of the show, because there is a goal that he is actively working towards. I was hesitant in saying active because he wasn't the one that started it, but essentially he was thrown back on the path that he wanted to do. And he was able to run with it and keep momentum going. So he's he's active in his story. So it's not that bad in that sense and because it is talking about wanting to become an astronaut there's gonna i thought there was gonna be a lot more shop talk in the first three episodes and all the different type of stuff that he needed to do i really appreciated the exams that they went through and what he had to undergo like they it was just surface level enough to where you understood what he had to do but it didn't go into in depth on what the questions were or why they're doing this test and that test mainly because he hadn't been picked for the program yet so it was understandable that they would have him go through all these tests physical and mental and not necessarily give him the reasoning for those tests until he's actually been chosen for the next step. I would also say that this show is a lot more endearing in the sense that it shows that anybody can choose to follow their dreams. As you had mentioned with Bakuman, we follow these two middle schoolers, or high school is I, I I believe it's middle school because in Japan in Japan everything has to do with middle school. But if all these two school boys are wanting to become mangaka, and that's usually the demographic that we see in manga and anime. Whereas in this franchise, we follow somebody who went out and he he had a career. He was successful in other ways. We he went out became a mechanical engineer and he designed a car that literally everybody uses so he was successful in a different way but as you mentioned before from his initial goal he something must have happened to where he didn't become an astronaut he didn't 
get into a program or he chose not to get into it. I guess that was another reason why I wanted to keep watching. But I, I had to stop myself uh, from going on because they don't really answer on why his path diverged from his brothers, especially when growing up, he always wanted to be the trendsetter for his brother. He always wanted to be the example for his brother. Everything that they did, he did the hardest thing so that his brother had something to look forward to or something to work towards, to aspire to. And even though he's an engineer, he, he went and became an engineer for cars. It's not something that's completely unrelated, but it's still a far cry from an astronaut program. So that difference, that divergence as a mysterious aspect is fairly interesting. But again, the fact that he went out, made a name for himself, and basically hit rock bottom again. Uh, because he, he hit rock bottom and he has to start over again and his childhood dream of becoming an astronaut similar to his brother resurfaces and he has now that opportunity to go and pursue that dream and I say like he's exponentially older he's 30 31 so he's around our age but usually for consumers of this media that's old man, middle age type thing, right? Just like being able to see an old man who went out and he lived his life and basically going and fulfilling his dream, starting over from scratch. And that is especially how that, that, that is very uplifting, especially how lighthearted the franchise is because it's very hopeful. It's not, doom and gloom like most us most other franchises that we've seen for instance Mishoku Tensei where he was 28 and he hated life and we follow Muta yeah he was laid off and he had to live back with his parents and he had trouble finding another position but it was shown in a comedic light not as though everything sucks and nothing is going to get better it's just him doing his best with what he has and essentially him trying to find himself again, you know, in, in, in that regard. Uh, what was your reasoning for uh, keeping up with the franchise or how long have you kept up with this franchise? Uh, to its conclusion, I guess, because, uh, again, like A1 Pitcher was very in the camp of we want to tell this whole story, at least up into how it was being told in its uh, manga run, because like 99 episodes is not really like a small commitment <laughs> for a story to be told, because um, what came up recently in my mind when thinking about that was the Shaman King reboot. I mean, we even I mentioned that, I think, at the beginning, but yeah, like they just approved of 51 episodes for Shaman King of a you know, a 12 year old series that like, you know, we grew up on. So it's like, why retell the story again, which they did with like a more complete ending, kind of how, you know, Fullmetal Alchemist did it. But yeah, with the 99 episodes, it's a slow plotting story that covers a lot of arcs. So they're basically divided into uh, four different arcs that follows, again, the two brothers, but sorry, I'm very burpy right now. But it is a thing that 
it is the younger brother that is the more successful one, like you said. And it's not really a sense of doom and gloom like you saw in uh, uh, Seeing Yesterday to me was, well, I guess two years ago now, was like sad adults graduating college and going to work at a 7-Eleven, essentially. And then even if you look at something older, like again, in the seinen categories, like great teacher Onizuka kind of had a lot of parallels to me in my mind when I was watching it, because it's a story of just someone in a profession trying to make the best of it or living in a profession that they've chosen. And like, that's something that's not really talked about, about, you know, the idea that you can be happy doing something you didn't plan to be doing and also how child dreams do fall away and you can still find happiness in other paths of life but you can always change there was a meme going around of this i believe he was korean but he was a military sniper an astronaut and a doctor you kind of yes. see his photo Yes, he, he he's like uh, it, it's crazy. He, he he maxed out like everything that he did, and he did like five different careers, and he wasn't even at least like the meme made it seem like he wasn't even thirty yet, and he had like five different careers by that time. Just ridiculous. Exactly, and you can talk and you see interviews with that guy. I don't know if he's Korean American or Korean, but um, yeah, because I think he was a NASA astronaut. But yeah, the idea that what you brought up, Sam, is like, you can change careers, you can be happy. And what the story really tells in the first three episodes is very inspirational. Again, going back to the opening, it's like, everyone dreams of doing things that they may not end up doing, but it doesn't make your dreams childish or saying that, oh, once you grow up, you're going to outlive your uh, dreams as a child. Because one brother, the younger brother, uh, Habito, kind of and like kind of imprinted in his soul like oh this childhood promise with my brother is what i'm going to do but the older brother trying to stay ahead of his younger brother was like oh i still need to have a life and i still can find happiness in that life and it's just something that i've forgotten and even in the first episode when his brother sends a recording or i forgot how they conveyed that um, yeah, he 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 was living back home with his parents, and uh, the brother sent him a letter to say, "Hey, listen to this recording on such and such date," because his parents still had all of their voice recordings that he did as a child, and that's where the main the character we follow, Muta. That's where he goes and he remembers his promise that he made with his brother. Exactly. So it's like, oh yeah, my brother took that to heart, and I kind of just casually kind of threw that off of something i said once upon a time and then he cries breaks down or just like oh yeah i can still do that thing that i promised my brother that i said i was going to do with him so it is a lot of like brotherly care that you know you kind of get in other series again maybe just mentioning full metal alchemist that you get this very strong sense of brotherhood between the two and then in the second episode, he has, like, doubts. It's like, can I really do this? And even through the interview process, which is very well written, that astronauts have to be detail-oriented or they have to have a certain propensity to seeing things that are wrong. Because, like, if you're in astronaut training, they, like, kind of train you in a critical way 
So like in the second episode for that interview, the interviewer unscrewed um, part of the desk. No, it was the, the, the chair they were sitting on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the chair they were sitting on, yeah. And only uh, Muta and there's introduced another female candidate notice it. So they're the ones that pass, essentially. Or they comment that that's what astronauts need to have in mind when they're training. And then in the second ep- or in the third episode, there's the medical examination. So, again, like, it's plotted out in terms of 99 episodes. So again, if you're not in for, for the characters, cause Muta is kind of a goof. <laughs> he has these funny um, expressions that they show in the opening, but like there's a weird moment where he's like staring and looking inside of a um, astronaut suit and he gets surprised. And he has like this side, Gintama kind of gag face. And I was like, Oh, this is really endearing. So you get really endeared to the two brothers, like the kind of like the, um, bumbling not bumbling idiot he's really intelligent but you're getting invested in these characters through their characterization how well they're written their heartfelt moments so you know not getting to avert it already but i'm already invested in the story but did it do anything for you sam because like would you watch more of it now as i (laughs) as i said i had to stop myself uh for for just the three episodes i could just uh talk on those because I wanted to figure out why his path diverged from being an astronaut. Like, what was that tantamount moment? I also appreciated his relationship with the female candidate, and there was a third candidate as well. Just seeing them grow and do things, and looking back, because I just rewatched an episode before the podcast, and it made me interesting makes me interested because earlier in I think it was like the first or the second episode he compared himself to a pug and in the intro we see him with a pug and trying to put a pug in a spacesuit and it it just made me think it's like is that just a metaphor for him or is he actually sending a pug in space right so I am very curious on whether or not they're just working on sending a pug to Mars or if they are actually going to be sending him to Mars. So if it, if it wasn't English, I would have it on for casual viewing like I would do for Brooklyn Nine-Nine or something like that, just because it's nice, nice and light in terms of comedy. I would say the love for the field of astronauts is really deep in this franchise because at the end of every episode, they have a picture of a realized real life Japanese astronaut of them doing some sort of training or them being in a space station. That's actually been pretty cool. The references because they flash back to Muda when he's a child and he plays the trumpet and the song they have him play is Danny Boy. And it made me look into it because every time that we see Muta do something triumphant or something triumphantly works for Muta, we hear Danny Boy playing. You know, like the closer he's getting to his goal of becoming an astronaut, that song plays. And this may be a little bit of a reach, but I'm thinking it's because of the phrase Fermanagh Cattle Rustlers. 
it has to deal with Neil Armstrong and Michael Collins, which are astronauts that essentially Ireland had claimed for their own because they are from Irish descent and they call themselves, uh, I, I think I might be mispronouncing this name, but uh, Fermagna. It's supposed to be a county in Northern Ireland and their families were cattle rustlers in that area. And so they're very proud of it. And I'm thinking like, that's why Danny boy is such a big deal or so impactful because people like Neil Armstrong and Michael Collins had pushed the boundaries of what it means to be an astronaut. And one, one, one more tangential thing and we can go on to the uh, last verdict. But like, as I was watching Crunchyroll, I have to say, you know how sometimes when you're watching a franchise or watching something and then the commercial is trying to be super meta about what you had just talked about with your friends or about what you're watching? As I'm watching this on Crunchyroll, they played a Reese's commercial. And literally in the Reese's commercial, they're like, we may not have put a man on Mars but we've put potato chips in our Reese's cups. And I'm just like, how meta can you get Reese's and Crunchyroll? Why are you targeting me so as I'm watching Space Brothers? It, it, it was just really mental for me. But ju just to bring it back to your original question, I would, I would continue to watch this for casual viewing. And the fact that it is so long, it would be a good casual viewing like i've done that for again for brooklyn 99 i've done that for supernatural and if i can find an english job i might have to look on hulu for it but if i can find it in english i would definitely have it on in the background as good uh background music for me to keep going but right. cool because yeah. yeah that's kind of what kind of holds me back from recommending it just to the casual viewer because it's one don't know of the English dub of it, and then two, the 99 episodes is a long commitment, especially when it's not structured in the most traditional way of seasons. So it's like, okay, there are stopping points. There are um, points where you can take a pause, like every 30 episodes, like I said, because there are arcs to the story or there's story breaks, but it's not seasonal. So it's like one of those things of like, when do you feel like you can say oh i've watched enough of this or do you just in for the ride because again that's one of the downsides to a slice of life is that you're just along for the ride so i would say for sure for it's addressing not too strong of the hobby talk that you would might expect because he is a trainee again in the space program but it is sold on this idea of where do you go once you're changing inspirations or trying to find new motivations and it's very encouraging in that way so if you're looking for a modern sci-fi or sorry contemporary sci-fi i think this is a good story that's not too found too frequently outside of anime so there's also a movie called um, space there was Brothers a movie? zero oh my goodness so is it like a prequel movie or is it just like the first movie it's called a uh, space brother zero so it does kind of wrap up the story with a uh, prequel and epilogue kind of thing because again it was still ongoing in the manga and then there's a live action movie if you want to kind of see that kind of side of it as well because again giving some attention to the Japanese space program like you said like 
closing it with like the astronauts as well. They do it in the live action version as well. So I'm going to give it a resurrect. But how about you, Sam? I would definitely say resurrect because again, it's refreshing seeing that seeing a story about somebody having to chase after their dreams, even if they are so old, it's sort of just like subverting the expectation that like once you hit a certain age, you can't pursue your dream. And it does it in a very tasteful and comedic way. Like they do talk about, well, I don't know if they will dive into deeper subjects, but I feel I feel confident that when they do, it's going to be serious, but you'll be able to learn from it and see it in a hopeful light. So from both of us on Space Brothers, we have a resounding verdict of resurrection. Do you have any other uh, comments that you would like to make, Jay? Or is that it? No, because it's kind of just a solid series that I was like very happy to bring to the light of, you know, talking about it. Because again, 10 years is a long time. But now that it's like the year is 2022 and the story takes place in 2025, it just seemed very natural. But yeah, Space Brothers is a good watch and I would recommend all 99 episodes. But it's definitely like the first 30 because that feels that's like the training arc for Muta being inside of the um, space program. So, and seeing where his brother goes to prepare for his trip to the moon. But yeah, uh, I actually don't know what's next on our schedule. Yes. So um, again, that was our thoughts on space brothers. And if you are continuing to follow us, dear listener, dear watcher, the next episode, we shall see how magical the bonds of family can be with my pick known as Arcane Famiglia. And with that, Jay, what have you have got for us today? All right, so I have the transcripts. I don't I didn't steal it or anything, but I do have the transcript from the first moon landing, which I want to read just the words of Neil Armstrong as he stepped off of the Apollo 11 uh, mission craft. So this is from... Uh, July 20th, 1996. So it goes, Armstrong speaks. I'm going to step off the LM now. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. As the surface is fine and powdery, I can, I can pick it up loosely with my toe. It does adhere in fine layers like powdered, charcoal to the sole and sides of my boots. I only go in a small fraction of an inch, maybe an eighth of an inch, but I can see the footprints of my boots and the treads in the fine sandy particles. 